episode 220 for March 2013. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They have discounts that start at 38 and they go up to 75% off the cover price of new comics and trades. An example is on Avenging Spider-Man number 20. In this one, the superior Spidey breaks into a helicarrier to get to the chameleon. Cover price is $3.99. Mail order has it for just $2.47, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. And we start this show with one of your favorites. It's this month in Spider History with JR. Something the fans are clamoring for is JR's This Month in History. Because you demanded it. Because you demanded it. <laughs> exactly. In the Mary Marvel way. We're going back to March of 1979. Amazing Spider-Man 190 came out, written by Marv Wolfman, art by John Byrne. Uh, On the cover, it says, still only 35 cents, so I wish. Uh, Mayhem is the Man-Wolf is the name of the uh, the, uh, that's on the cover, and uh, the Man-Wolf has Spider-Man by the throat. And going towards the water. So, Jr., tell me about this one. Well, first of all, uh, as far as all my fans, I would like to uh, I would like to thank my mother for registering under several different names and then bombarding the message board. So, thanks, mom. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, yes, this is this is a fun month. Actually, it's hard to believe though. This this came out in late 1978 with the February uh, 79 cover date. So we're looking at like 35 friggin' years ago. I was a soft 15-year-old sophomore in high school, the age that Peter was when he became Spider-Man. But uh, we'll go through this rather quickly since I've um, uh, talked quite a bit here. And, and since this was a fun month, actually, we had Wolfman and Matlow on Spider-Man. And uh, we had a Marvel team up that didn't totally suck, so yeah. <laughs> so we're not so we're not going to you know have a whole lot of the good old fashioned you know awful moments to make fun of. But anyway, Amazing Spider-Man 190 um, starts off. John Jameson's body is kidnapped from a cryon- cryonics hospital because you know that John Jameson's a man wolf. And he became the man-wolf because he found this red stone on the moon. And he said, you know, and, and so instead of saying, hmm, here's an alien artifact that I have absolutely no friggin' idea what it's going to do, I think I'll steal it and wear it as a necklace. So he does that. And, uh, of course, then the moon's ra- it captures the moon's rays and he turns into the man-wolf. That's the origin. But anyway, yeah. prolonged exposure to the stone has, has is giving some kind of either, they don't say the C word, but it's poisoning, probably giving him cancer or whatever. So Jonah doesn't want his son to die, so the obvious solution is put him in cryogenic freeze next to Ted Williams' head. Uh, and so that's the... So, and then, you know, that was that was issue 189. So in the best uh, Star Trek Next Generation, you know, and now the conclusion... Um, We've got a couple. We've got a couple of mysterious figures out here who are out to get both Spider-Man and Jonah. We've got a short mysterious figure, and then we've got a big, tall mummy mysterious figure. And then later, I mean, there was never really any surprise who either one of these characters were. But uh, the short mysterious figure turns out to be Spencer Smythe, who, as you know, has been creating Spider Slayer robots since issue number 25. Well, guess all the radioactive materials he's using as poisoning. So naturally, rather than blame his own foolhardiness or lack of proper safeguards or anything like that, he blames Jonah and Spider-Man. So... You know, he sends his big mummy mummy guy to kidnap JJJ. 
Uh, and then all of a sudden we find out, if, you know, that uh, J- uh, it's it's the man wolf when the bandages come off. Um, and so Spider-Man follows them across New York. And, you know, Smythe is telling them, you know, controlling the man-wolf. And I guess Smythe has read Norman Osborn's playbook because the man-wolf goes to a bridge. And, you know, because <laughs> and Smythe wants Jonah and Spider-Man to die together. And I guess the bridge is as good a place as any. But Jonah <laughs> is saying things like, you know, uh, but don't you remember, John? You know, I mean, uh, back when we were poor and had no money and how we always scraped together money to watch the, the baseball games. There were so many, the Yankees, the Giants, the Dodgers, which, of course, you know, you realize that this really dates the story because the Dodgers and Giants left in 1957, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, nice. which would have been, well, which would have been within the time frame of, you know, 1978, you know, this would have been, you know, oh, okay. years. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fine. That's one of the, again, you know, that's one of the, the things about uh, when they reprint these stories, I like it when they leave the anachronisms in, I don't like it when they update them, you know, uh, but, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's Jonah's referring they, they, to an event that, you know, teams that were there like 20 years before, which made, like I said, sense, but actually it, it kind of is a touching scene because really in a way that's kind of how my dad and I got along was we went to baseball games. But anyway, so we also learned that in this story uh, that jo- Jonah's first wife's name was Joan. John's mother was Joan and how devastated that both they were when, when Joan died. And this starts triggering some memories within the man wolf. And he actually turns back to, to John Jameson. And of course, Spencer Smythe says, no, I've got her, you know, this can't be happening. So I'm going to do plan B and plan B. He punches a button and John says, argh, migraines. And he falls off the, he falls off the um, bridge and Spider-Man tries to save him, but then John disappears. Uh, which <laughs> time portal? As, as we, what's that? The, the, the time dilation portal. He fell into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there you go. Wow, what a way to bring in the cartoon and close the loop there, pal. <laughs> wow. Um, so he does that, you know, but Jonah doesn't see it. So for whatever reason, Jonah thinks that John is dead and that Spider-Man killed him. Okay. Uh, and he starts ranting and raving, calling Spider-Man a murderer and stuff. Well, well, we know what happened though with John. He was teleported. <laughs> he was teleported to some other dimension where he became some kind of wolf god or something. And and oh god, that was awful. Yeah, remember he <laughs> and then he showed. And I yeah. don't remember this. I think because my brother was collecting Spider Woman at the time. I think uh, this right. is years ago. Because then there was a remember there was a character from the main thing called Richard Rory or whatever and. He he somehow got in contact with the wolf god and oh god oh. they brought yeah they brought John back and then then man wolf had a big sword or something and ah, he was on I, Mars ah, it was a mess that's yeah. awesome. so anyway that's ultimately what happened was happening to John but we don't know that for a while so anyway what this story does then it leads into the next two part story which has Jonah and uh, Spider Man being shackled together which is actually a pretty good story uh, and they go all over New York trying to figure out how to defuse the bomb before it blows up in twenty four hours. Um, and really, this was actually the beginning of a very good story arc for Jonah because John's supposed death clearly, I mean, obviously, if you thought your kid died, you know, what it would do to you. And Jonah is just really getting more frantic and more possessed and more uh, just, I don't want to say deranged, but ultimately he has a nervous breakdown. And then he's committed to a mental hospital. And, you know, this was a really, and I don't know what Wolfman ultimately planned, um, 
he what he had what he said what Stern Roger Stern said he saw some notes that had Jonah killing the black cat under the control of Dr. Harrow. Uh, Marv Wolfman actually personally wrote me and said, no, I would never have done such a thing. I don't know where Roger got that idea. But uh, but anyway, this would have been a good chance to see Jonah have to grapple with his demons. But ultimately what they decided was that it was really Dr. Jonas Harrow pointing a machine that beamed evil rays at Jonah and turned him crazy. So, oh, gosh. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that was, for a while, it was one of my top ten worst Spider-Man stories. That was issue 206, but it got replaced by <laughs> some other duds that have taken place <laughs> but anyway, that that was it. That was issue one ninety. Again, you know, during the Marvel Wolfman era, and, and most of the stories were, were pretty good, pretty readable. What do you think of the John Jameson character in general? <sighs> I think could he, could, I, could he a villain? I mean, he shouldn't be a villain. You know, that that's one of the things where you know everybody. That's it. Really, it's lazy writing because everybody associated with the Daily Bugle turns into a villain. You know, Frederick Foswell, Ned Leeds, you know, John Jameson. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, or people that Jonah knows, you know, Jonah funds the scorpion, Jonah funds the fly, Jonah funds Spencer Smythe, you know, it's like, you know, forget Spider-Man being the menace, Jonah's the menace, uh, and which, which Dan Slott amusingly pointed out in that, in that great She-Hulk issue. Um, but, uh, no, John should be there to remind us that Jonah's human, you know, because, because yeah. Jonah is a, is a very wide, you know, kind of a broadly drawn character who, who's definitely got issues. And John and, and Marla was there too. I, I, that's another supporting character I wish hadn't been killed. Not that she was major, but I don't, I don't like supporting characters getting killed. But no, you well, need she people. created those spider slayers. You know? Yeah, yeah, she did. <laughs> but you need, for a character who, who really grates like Jonah sometimes, you need to see him through the eyes of people who like him. That's the purpose John Jameson serves, and he shouldn't deviate from that. The whole man-wolf yep. thing, frankly, was stupid. Yeah, it was. However, I have fond memories because they reprinted that issue as a uh, uh, power record in the 70s. Yes, that. Remember that? I've got it. So I, yes. I, I I have that too, and I always, when I think of Manwolf, I think of that power record, because it was one of my first Spider-Man stories I ever read. Yep. Or that, listened to. That's right, it was. It was the only way we got, yeah, I mean, this was even, well, this was after the, the first cartoon, but yeah, we didn't and, have much, we didn't have much Spider-Man media, so that, that we took what we could get. This and the electric company. Yeah. And they also had, remember Draco the Dragon? The yes. Power record? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I got that and one. We saw Draco again. I got that one. Uh, also came out this month, JR, was probably one of the best Marvel team up issues of all time. <laughs> oh, we're going to skip That's Spectacular and go right to Marvel team up? Oh, I was just doing the order they were on Sam Rook. Okay. If you want no, to do no, 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 that's fine. We'll do them, we'll do them in the way you want. Marvel team up. Uh, he teamed up uh, in March of 79 with Red Sonja. Mar- Marvel team up se- issue 79 came out in 79. So. Yep. <laughs> the writer was Chris Claremont and John Byrne. The story was called Sword of the She-Devil. Yeah, which actually sounds yeah. like the story of the Fettinger Thanksgiving last year, starring my wife in a, a turkey carving knife, but we won't get into that. Fettinger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but nice. uh, is there something going on in the background? Yeah, what is that hissing? I think that was me. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, oh, yep, it's you, Chris. I, I'm trying. I'm trying out a new uh, headset and microphone too, and I didn't know if there was some some strange things. Uh... Oh, you sound, you sound good. Okay, oh, but anyway, th- yes, Red Sonia. This is um, and one reason I, I picked this month as opposed to others is because I think they just recently released Essential Marvel Team Up Four, and they either have or will, but it's available I think on Amazon. And this story is not reprinted. It skips directly from seventy eight to eighty. 
And that's too bad. And that is because Red Sonia is a licensed character. Marvel does not own that character. Back in the 70s, the whole Conan the Barbarian universe was licensed by Roy Thomas, actually, uh, in one of those, uh, in, in, you know, I think um, Jim Shooter credits Roy Thomas with saving the Marvel Universe by making them publish the Star Wars comic. Well, this was another probably uh, great idea by Roy Thomas because Conan was big in the 70s. I mean, as a, he was really big. Yeah, right. yeah. He had how many titles? He had two? Conan, Conan the Barbarian, Sword. Savage Sword of a, Conan. Um, he had magazines also yeah. on the new stuff, yeah, too. He, yeah. uh, he had the magazines and uh, he had the <laughs> 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 yeah, and then that and then nice. that happened. Yeah, and yeah, and James Earl Jones, uh, James Earl Jones, you know, Conan, I am your father, um, which I <laughs> which I think he actually did, but I I, I didn't see all that movie. Um, but uh, so anyway, so Red Sony was a licensed character. They had the license at the time, and I guess they didn't want to fork over another five dollars for the reprint rights. So anyway, so this story has not been reprinted since. I think this is the only place you can find it is to go back and dig out the original in the back issue bin. Anyway, uh, Peter Parker has been at the Daily Bugle Christmas party, which in a fun Easter egg moment, if you have it, have it, Robbie is talking to a very familiar looking character, asking him how it feels to be a mild-mannered TV reporter. Uh, so that, that's a cute moment. Uh, Mary Jane happens to be there for no real particular reason other than to, as a plot device. Uh, Wait, hold on, hold on. Mild-mannered TV, report, TV reporter or newspaper reporter? Well, he, remember, he yeah, in the 70s, he was working for, like, global broadcasting. Remember Morgan Edge bought everything or something like that? Yep. So, yep. Oh, are you talking about Clark Kent? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know Clark Kent was a TV reporter in the 70s. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. we need we need Bailey on here. Come on, you were no. <laughs> you were were you were born in the seventies, Brad? You were just bragging yeah. about it, you know. Like, oh, I, have, I have the same birthday as Bruce <laughs> You know, I would have been an ET if I'd had hair. Jr. <laughs> settle down. I didn't read DC in the seventies. I was four in seventy nine, man. Uh, I love Jr.'s voice of Brad. <laughs> yeah, I sound like a raving loon from Missouri. <laughs> well, well, you well. do laugh. Like a I guess I am. I don't know. <laughs> like a patient, according to one of our earliest reviews. Um, yeah, I, del- I deleted but, that. Uh, <laughs> any, any, anyway, this. Um, so anyway, yeah, Clark Kent makes a, a, an appearance, which is you know kind of fun. Anyway, something big's going down at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Robbie sends Peter and, and reporter Charlie Snow, one of those back you know background characters that appears irregularly, uh, and uh, they go to investigate. And basically, you know, the Metropolitan. Uh, although I don't know how they determine distinguished from the rest of New York because the Metropolitan uh, Museum now looks like it's in hell, which, remember, this is New York in the 70s, so I think the whole island looked like that at one point. But anyway, there's these red flames coming out and everything. Uh, and so Peter says, oh, man, you know, I mean, Mary Jane, uh, you know, Chris, Mary Jane followed him again to further the plot along. Mary Jane, I gotta go take pictures. Wink, wink. You know, and of course, Mary Jane says, oh, no, you're not doing this again to me, Peter. And she follows him in. And then all of a sudden it occurs to her, oh, this could be dangerous, Peter. And, you know, you're not the hero type because Mary Jane has known all along that Peter is Spider-Man, right? She's always known from day one that Peter is Spider-Man. Yes. Yes. So anyway, she sees Spider-Man, you know, and, and of course it's a complete surprise to her because she doesn't know that he and Peter are the same person. He's getting his ass handed to him by a bunch of monsters because this, there's this amulet, mystical amulet, which has brought this evil sorcerer called Kulon Gath. Which I think, you know, he probably has the sphere of Sarah Kath with him. You know, if you remember that 
podcast, you know, the sphere of Theracon <laughs> or whatever, you know. So, yeah. but I think Gath was a Conan character that may have been created by Roy Thomas. I'm not sure, but anyway, that's another character that did appear in the Conan series. He kind of comes back to life and he wants to take over the world again. And so, you know, he's created all these monsters and, and Spider-Man's fighting them. And Mary Jane sees this fight going on and she says, "Oh man, I really wish I could do something to help." Mm-hmm. Just as she's walking by this big sword, and this big sword starts to glow, you know, and she says, oh, it's, it's talking to me, and she sits just down and picks up the sword. My precious, yeah. my precious sword. Yeah. <laughs> and she reaches and picks up the sword, and, and I don't know quite what happens. She turns into Red Sonia, but whether it's her body or whether she transfers consciousness like they did in Quantum Leap or transfers bodies, I don't know. But anyway, Red they have similar body types. Yeah, well, yeah, they're red-haired and got, you know, boobs, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Red Sonia then makes this big full-page appearance, you know, and she says, Back to your pits, you thrice-damned spawns of hell, or face the <laughs> naked steel of Red Sonia. She does high crane steps. And if you see this, trust me, the blade is not the only thing that's damn near naked uh, in this picture. And it's, 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 it's almost like this was... Red Sonia is definitely a character for those perverted 45-year-olds that Darren Cook says is writing and reading comic books these days. Um, so anyway... Um, Spidey, yeah, exactly. I, just, I resemble that remark. Um, so do I. So it, yeah, I, like I said, I can't sue anybody for definition of character. Uh, so anyway, Sp- uh, Spidey and Sonya can't understand any, each other because she speaks Hyborian, of course, whatever that is, you know. Uh, and so anyway, she and Kula, she and uh, Spidey are captured by Kula and Gath, you know, ha ha ha, I'm going to conquer the world. Spidey breaks free. Uh, he punches Gath through the, you know, through a wall in the museum or whatever, and Gath is momentarily stunned by the fact, you know, that by the modern shithole that New York is in the 1970s. Spidey knocks him out. I guess his soul returns to the mystical amulet, and then her job, her her mission, her job being done. Red Sonia turns back into Mary Jane, who remembers absolutely nothing. Peter goes, to, so they go and see the movie Titanic together, and then Peter gets the idea of throwing the amulet with Kulanga's soul into the river. So, uh, yeah. well, he really did throw it into the river, and I inserted the Titanic reference. But anyway, what, about that? what the heck? Yeah, yeah. Trying to be overly clever, and since since you know uh, Donovan decided to go ahead and bring in a pop culture reference from twenty years hence, I tried to do the same and failed miserably. Uh, <laughs> well played. So anyway, but nice. So but doom doom. I mean, it's a dumb story. It's a silly story. Was silly. It's good to look at, though, isn't it? With silly dialogue, but you know, it, it's fun. It's it's a nice little story. You know, it gives us something you don't always see. You know, which is Mary Jane. You know, fighting side by side with Spider Man. But what's interesting is there were actually two follow ups to this story. Yep. Uh, yep. Which which makes me think that Gath must be an original Marvel character because he showed up later in a two part X Men where he did transform New York into the Hyborian Age. But apparently his spells don't work, and nobody knows that something's changed except Spider-Man, because apparently Gath's spells don't work on Spider-Man. So basically he tortures and crucifies Spider-Man, literally, in this story. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I remember that. You know, he's, it's, 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 I think it's like Uncanny 190, 191. Something like that, yeah. So, you know, the X-Men save the day, and everything's returned to normal, and nobody remembers. And then uh, in the year 2007, um, I guess Dynamite, 
comics, which must have had the Howard estate license rights. I guess Marvel and they teamed up to do a five, an overly long five-parter with yep. Spider-Man and Red Sonja, which basically hits all the same notes as those previous two stories. Gaff comes back, transformed to New York in a Hyborian age, doesn't affect Spider-Man, Mary Jane turns into Red Sonja. Uh, another, uh, one of those cute one-parters that was turned into a five-parter and, and therefore yeah. was not very interesting at all, except for some cute quips between Spider-Man and Red Sonja. Uh, but anyway, so that, that that's Marvel Team Up 79. Definitely, definitely a n- dumb, but definitely a notch above some of the Marvel Team Up classics we've been talking about. This, as I was talking to JR uh, earlier, I think this is one of my first exposures to Mary Jane. Because in 79, I was four. And I definitely remember picking this issue up off the spinner rack. And, and this is probably like my second or third or possibly fourth Spider-Man comic I ever owned. And the first one I owned was uh, Marvel Team-Up Annual 2. And if you remember the opening shot of that, he's making out with Chrissy Ironwood. And I'm like, oh, okay, who's this, who's this girl, Chrissy Ironwood? And then the next time, he's, he's on a date with another girl. And I'm like, ooh, this is a redhead that turns into Red Sonia. Who's <laughs> this chick? I'm like, that's so cool. As my, I was processing that with my four-year-old brain that Peter Parker's a Mac. <laughs> but anyway, I, I remember this, and, and if you look on the cover, Jr. it says Marvel's TV Sensation. Oh God! So yeah. This is this is around the time that the uh, the Nick Hammond Spider-Man TV show was on the air. Yeah, and there's a, a yeah. an interesting reference to that uh, in the um, the next uh, story we're going to talk about. Um, oh no, it wasn't. No, it was in the previous one actually, 190, where he's swinging around, and someone says, "Hey, it's Spider-Man." No, the real one, not the one from TV. So <laughs> nice, nice. I remember that. But yeah. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll tell you what really happened. Brad's kind of um, he, he's shortchanging you on the story that he told about picking Uh-oh. up the red sun. Yes, he is. Because when he first picked, <laughs> he first picked up, you know, he was he was looking through it and he saw that full page spread where Sonya first appears, you know, with nothing yeah. wearing nothing but chain metal, you know, on her boobs and her, you know her private parts. So anyway, later in the day, you know, Brad's door, Brad's mom comes knocking on his you know bedroom door. Brad, it's time for dinner, and Brad's going, I'm busy reading my Spider Man comic book. You know, give me a few more minutes, Ma. So, <laughs> I was the most perverted four-year-old ever, evidently, in '79. And nothing's changed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and Zach for the win. Uh, all right. Also, it came out this month. Jr. Peter Parker, Spec Spidey number twenty-eight. Uh, Bill Matlow, Frank Miller doing the art. This is called Ashes to Ashes. Only eighteen pages. Yeah, well, you know that's that's what you got for your seventies. Uh, that's what you forgot for your thir- got you. But, excuse me. That's what you got for your thirty-five cents back in. Uh, yeah, you know, and it was still only thirty-five cents. Um, Before we get into it too much, Carrion was he not supposed to be Norman Osborn dead? You know, I, I tried. I read that once. I tried. In yeah. fact, I googled it and tried to find it again. I could not find the reference. It must be in some printed material, where uh, Mantlo originally had the idea that this was the desiccated corpse of Norman. Because when Carrion first appears, he definitely. I mean, when you, when you look at Carrion, he's got a pouch and he's got what, yeah. the remnants of a hood and booties. You know, uh, apparently somebody vetoed that idea. Thank goodness. Uh, and then Carrion turned out to be uh, a clone of Miles Warren, who 
actually, you know, didn't, you know, he, you know, he didn't pop out of his, of his easy bake microwave oven in time. And so, you know, he aged and died and was this, you know, became this, this corpse, you know, and, yeah. and I don't know. And, and Carrion has gone through at least two iterations since then. So I don't know what the current version or story is now, but who is the creator of Carrion? Uh, it had to be Mantlo, I think. Yeah, it was Mantlo. No, uh, good luck getting an interview on that one. I don't think I can find the answer to that one. There's yeah. three versions of Carrion. Malcolm what McBride, the first that's, one, which is the... Clo- the second one, right? Well, yeah, Blink McBride was the second one in the 90s. Then you had uh, Warren, who was the clone uh, the clone of Warren, and, uh, which was kind of dispro- disproven by, Garrett, by Jerry Conway in the uh, Spectacular Annual 8, but reaffirmed by Peter David himself, or no, no, Roger Stern himself, in the one-shot Spider-Man Dead Man's Hand. Which has the third carry-in, which was uh, Doctor Allen. That's almost as bad as so many Mysterios running around. Well, th- this is the cl- this is one of the clearest examples of a retcon of a retcon, <laughs> because it, which is funny because yeah. the first retcon Gary Conway basically retconned his entire clone saga, you know, by saying, "Ah, it was just Miles Warren, you know, inserting genetic material and, and turning these people into Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker," and then that was re-retconned back. Back to the boy. Anyway, so anyway, what happens in this? What one happens here? in this one? This is actually I um, <laughs> actually this this story is uh, one of my top ten. I, I really always like this story. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, nice. I, I don't know if you know. I don't know quality wise if it really is. But when I do my when I did my top ten originally and and my worst ten too, which has been modified, I tried to use the stories that you know if I'm just you know sitting there, what stories pop up? Boom, 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 boom. This is one of them. Um, anyway, so this is the end of the Mass Marauder story because the Mass Marauder uh, wanted, you know, Mayor Koch at the time, you know, before he died, uh, which he just did, actually, um, and uh, to turn over New York to uh, the Magia, you know, instead of the Mafia, because, you know, the Mafia, those suit conscious people, you know, I mean, they sue you just like Disney does, you know, so we can't use their <laughs> name, uh, you know, so the Magia. Wants to take over New York. New York does, you know, the mayor doesn't like that idea. So the master marauder says, I'm going to drop a nuke on you. So anyway, so, but Spider-Man has been blinded by by this giant robot, this robot called the Mandroid. You know, he zaps Spider-Man and Spider-Man goes, I'm blind, you know, and... But, you know, and, and Spider-Man runs into Daredevil, and, and uh, but Spider-Man's determined, that, you know, he tells Daredevil what's going on, and this is, the, the marauder is one of Daredevil's old foes. Um... And Spider-Man, but Spider-Man won't, you know, let Daredevil go it alone. So Spidey's kind of hanging out where Daredevil, uh, this building where Daredevil's fighting the Marauder and his goons. And then the Mandroid turns into a bomb droid and a bird droid, you know. And so he he turns into a big shiny bird with a bomb and flies out the window. And Spider-Man, oh, oh you know, holy, you know, cow, that can't be good. So he snags. He's blind, but his spider sense, uh, you know, he snags the bomb droid and hitches a ride. And uh, catches up with it. He pulls himself along, uh, and he is able to. He says, "Oh, it's ticking." So this got to be bad news. So basically, he 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 can't see or nothing, but he knows that it, when it's ticking, it's bad news. So he rips the housing off, and you know, causes a mini explosion and diffuses the bomb, uh, which actually kind of gives a, a good moment here. I actually like what happens next because the Marauder. Uh, says, you know, I'm just going to blow up the city, you know, the hell with it. He punches a button that's supposed to activate the bomb, and it doesn't work. And he goes, this is impossible! And then Daredevil goes, no. 
It means that a man you blinded has just performed an act of incredible heroism. And if he <laughs> dies stopping your insane scheme, and then Daredevil shit pals him. And <laughs> he does what? He shit pals him. How uh, do you shit power? Hey, 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 hey. I'm not making this up. If you turn to, and if you, <laughs> if you, I, I feel like a Baptist preacher, turning your Bibles to Ecclesiastes <laughs> chapter four. Uh, anyway, but no, page, page 14, Daredevil is hitting the marauder. And of course, the spe- the sound that you're given is S-H-T-P-O-W exclamation point. So he shit powers <laughs> him. But anyway, he said, and if Spider-Man dies stopping your insane scheme, then I swear to you, I'll see that you join him. I just, I love shit like that. I really do. Um, but anyway, then, I'm sorry? You love shit pal like that. Oh, I love shit pal. I'm, uh, uh-huh. uh, that sounds good. That sounds bad. But anyway. Hello, everybody. that at a Chinese restaurant. Turn into our next episode where Spidey says, wah, wah. Uh, <laughs> to circular back to the electric company reference that Brad made earlier. Anyway, the Daredevil tracks Spider-Man down, and Spider-Man suddenly realizes that you know being blind, his his senses are all enhanced, you know, and he can hear heartbeats, and you know, and he can smell better and things like that, and you know, so he goes, "Oh man, maybe I'll be able to smell Wolverine, Sabretooth, or the Craven before they smell me." But uh, you know, because that's how it was; those villains always found Spider-Man was they smelled him. But anyway. But then he, Daredevil has reached out to, to pick him up, and Spider-Man's vision starts coming back, so he loses all these enhanced, enhanced senses. Okay. All right, that story ends. And now then we get the next story, which kind of gets the... Carrion was introduced a few months earlier. Now we kick the Carrion story into high gear. Peter goes back to his apartment, and his apartment has been trashed, and the cops are there, and all of Peter's friends are there, because, you know... You know, if your apartment gets trapped, you know, if you have a home invasion or whatever and you're not there, all your friends are going to show up because they want to pick over what's left. You know, it's like, yeah, shit, you know, the house has been trashed. I'll just steal this, you know, and nobody will notice. Um, so that's why all his friends are there. But uh, so anyway, he pretends to be surprised. Holy hell, my house, my apartment's been trashed. Uh, and then he sees on the wall, you know, written, uh, you know, the dead walk, Parker. And he's like, oh, my God, that reminds me. The Walking Dead is on this Sunday. Uh, so anyway, so he sees that. And uh, it's like, well, well, I man, I really can't stay here. I mean, my apartment's trashed. And, sin- and this is why I wish Bertoni could join us, because then Betty Brant goes to Peter and says, poor Peter, why don't don't you let me take care of you tonight? (laughs) But then Hector Ayala is there. You know, Hector Ayala, the White Tiger, being a close friend of Peter Parker, which the White Tiger was a um, a supporting character here because he was college age and he went to ESU. Um, And he wasn't a bad supporting character, to be honest. But, you know, and and I'm not going to do a Hispanic accent because that really will offend everybody. But uh, (laughs) but he... No, 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 not going to try that one. Uh, But Hector goes, Betty, I think what the man needs is rest, not recreation you can crash at my place pete you know and uh and then we'll have well no i can't say we'll have tacos and burritos because then i'll make me a racist like uh what was her name uh the, the crazy hispanic uh, uh michelle gonzalez michelle gonzalez yeah, michelle yeah. Gonzalez, who said that nora winter's butt looked like she'd been you know consuming a bunch of guacamole or something and i don't want to do that anyway <laughs> so peter is supposed to meet Hector at the uh, campus library, but, you know, then Peter notices, oh, crap, all the lights are out, all the guards are unconscious, Hector's lying there unconscious with some kind of crazy crap written on him, that's, you know, 
you know, and uh, then Carrion comes and says, die, murderer, or I guess if he sees he's a zombie, he goes, die, murderer, or something like that. So, okay, that doesn't sound like a zombie. That sounds like somebody that's having a stroke. <laughs> well, he's, he's dead. So anyway, so he says, hey, you know, so he knocks Peter off the balcony and says, hey, don't make this easy for me, Parker. Use your cursed spider agility. Maybe I should try to sound like Boris Karloff. I don't know. Anyway, so Peter says, ah, oh, crap, that means he knows I'm Spider-Man. Uh, and just as he's about to, you know, fully engage Carrion, Hector's girlfriend shows up and says, I can't see anything in here. She turns the lights on. Peter's eyes are still sensitive, of course, because remember, the man droid, before he turned into a bomb droid and a bird droid, blinded Peter with an optic blast. And so Peter's eyes are still sensitive. He goes, ah, my eyes, my eyes! You know, and then, then Carrion grabs him by the throat. And Peter goes, you know, and then... And then we get the final, you know, oh, Parker has killed, you know, wait, oh, oh, Parker has killed, but no court shall judge him, for vengeance belongs to Karen! And then, of Just shit power. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> next issue, dust to dust. And, of course, we get, then we get the, the rest of the Karen story. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's a good story. I mean, really. I mean, it's, it's one of those where you go from one good story and right, immediately into another one. Uh, the whole carrion thing was wrapped up like in six to eight months, you know, before it got old and boring. So it's uh, definitely um, I, I know that these issues have been reprinted because Frank Miller went on to bigger and better things. Um, mm-hmm. And Frank actually he's sharing art credit with a Frank Springer for some reason. So I don't know if Miller didn't do everything or if someone redrew something. I don't know. But anyway, so, yeah, this this has been collected, I think, more than once. This uh, is a collect. Mm, this, I was going to say, this is collected in the original Clone Saga trade. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I'll be. Uh, so anyway, good month. Very good month. Very good uh, month. Got one of your faves in there. That's cool. I always like it when we're recording this show and I and I've, I get breaking Spider-Man news. So this is this is fun. Um, it looks like there, if you, if you remember the scene in Spider-Man 1 where Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, Yeah. Was, yeah, oh yeah, he's dead, by the way. Oh, ready. <laughs> yeah, that's him, that's him, that's him. Anyway, um, his fans have decided that since he's passed away, he passed away on May 20th, they have uh, created a petition to designate May 20th as Macho Man Randy Savage Day. And they're petitioning the White House. They've created a... Uh, Thing that you can sign, and if they get a hundred thousand signatures or support, the White House will review the request of making May twentieth Randy Savage Day. Oh yeah! <laughs> so, oh yeah! Oh, you get Jim, brother. <laughs> you, you get the day <laughs> off of work because you're the Macho Man. Three minutes um, of playtime. <laughs> hey, what are you doing up here? Oh, Impersonation yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah, now that you mention that, guys, uh, the uh, Bone Saw wrestling scene yeah, is, right. in the, is in the musical, and Bone oh, Saw no. Bone Saw is played by a giant inflatable. <laughs> <laughs> and there and there's a guy there, there's a guy who's obviously holding it, and the, the fight consi- the fight consists of him hitting the actor over the head with the giant Bone Saw inflatable. inflatable. Wow, that's awful. <laughs> Well, so far, uh, the WhiteHouse.gov petition has 2,701 people that want May 20th as Macho Man Randy Savage Day. You have 
They need 97,299 more people to sign it by April 4th of 2013. So, would you guys wow, like to get off of work because of Macho Man Randy Savage Day on May 20th? <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people that should be in line before him to get their own day. I don't know. What are you talking about, Kevin? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody gets a day off. It's like in a world where Andy Griffith didn't even get into the remembrance thing on the Oscars, can Randy Savage really have his own whole day? I guess uh, not. Really, Andy Griffin did that. Oh, that's right, he didn't. I didn't, yep. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> All right. Um, By the that way, was up to thirteen. About to be fourteen. So I'm going to create an account now. Just so. you're going to you're going to sign the Randy Savage day. Just go to petitions.whitehouse.gov. Type in Randy Savage, and you can sign the petition. Don't forget the oh yeah. Oh wait, you don't need the oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to Spider Satellites with Kev. What do we got this month? How many issues? I believe we have six. Um, There's one of each of the five satellites, and then, uh, bonus for everybody, a second issue of Venom came out. Yay. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so that's transitioned from Randy Savage into Kool-Aid Man. (laughs) (laughs) What? <laughs> what did he say as he plowed through the wall? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be why I said that, Brad. Oh, oh shit. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, wrestlers tend to steal that stuff, like Hulk Hogan. Yeah, all right, anyway, I'm sorry. When did this become the wrestling crawl space? All I right, go what ahead. I talking about anymore. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, what anyway. do we first? So, up first, we have Scarlet Spider number 14, which, if you've read my review and the comments, I thought was just an amazing issue and turned out to be uh, rather divisive among the fans. But in this issue, we start out with Kane was dead to begin with. Nice starting place. (laughs) Arashley is in the clutches of the werewolves, and Kane initially resists the overtures of the Spider God. Remember the Spider God from the other? Yep. Uh, uh, but he realizes that Arasily still needs him, so instead of choosing to die, he changes his mind and he accepts what the Spider God has to offer, which is basically itself, and returns to life as a monster, which, you know, kind of like the ending of The Grim Hunt, but uh, we're hoping Spider Island doesn't follow. Yeah, no doubt. So for this issue, again, I say I did not realize when I was writing the review that so many people were going to disagree with me, but... I stick by my judgment. I give it an A+. I think it's hard to say too much about how good this issue was. It took the huge mess of a story that was the other and, for me, made it cool while simultaneously pushing Kane in a new direction so we can explore the killer side of him a bit more. I, the issue was phenomenal. If People have been yeah. saying all along, um, I believe Zach pointed out in one of his early reviews of Scarlet Spider that uh, Chris Yost had mentioned that he read Spider-Man The Lost Years and Spider-Man Redemption, and that J.M. DeMatha stuff is, uh, you know, kind of a uh, Bible to him for Kane. And honestly, I don't know what feels more like that than this. I, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with that, that assumption there, there, Kevin. I just, I felt like, and I do like the fact that we're recording that awful, awful, awful one-shot that came out during Spider-Island that explained that 
came back because of the jackal, like he just was waving his puppet strings. But um, yeah, I'll let you go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, it's okay. I, I, I welcome criticism, especially when it's uh, you I, know people. I had some I had some strong feelings about this issue, and they weren't good. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just so confused about what the spider god is supposed to be. This, in this issue, it says that Peter rejected his like inner spider, but when I read the other, I thought it pretty much showed that he was embracing it, which is why he got all those new powers. And I'm not really sure in Peter David's run who Miss Arrow is supposed to be now, because I thought she was like the spiders that ate his like dead body, but now all there's the spider god in this issue that is made of spiders too, so... I don't know, I'm, like, more confused about the spider totem thing after reading Scarlet Spider than I've ever been. Well, I would submit uh, that the spider god uh, really just kind of appears however it wants to, so the fact that it's appearing as a bunch of spiders doesn't mean it has anything to do with all the spiders that ate Peter Parker's corpse. Yeah, but that that entity, which was Miss Arrow in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, called herself the other two, didn't she? Yeah. Like, yeah, are, yes. are, yeah, she did, there, but... So there's more than one other. There's another other. Yes. <laughs> From a different mother. <laughs> uh, I interpret this as um, Peter Parker had an other, and so does Kane. Peter Parker's turned in, out to be uh, the spiders that ate his corpse, which I believe is because he rejected at least the full uh, spider, and Kane seems to have become his own other because he accepted it. So every spider person has their own spider god that's separate? It's all no, I don't think all. the spider god and the other are the same thing. I think there's one spider god, but every spider person has their own other. And the thing that we see in this issue is the other. For uh, Kane, the spider god. We yeah. see the spider god, and then when Kane comes back at the end, he is the other. Kane is the other. Right. Okay. Okay, so I, I, I give up. Carry on. <laughs> 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 I mean, honestly, honestly, um, I know you like the artwork, Kevin, but I, I thought it was probably one of the weakest by uh, Mr. McQuarrie. Um Personally, uh, there were several instances where I just I thought the art was a little off. But I, I liked I liked it a bit. I li- was it last issue or was it this issue that he said I I feel them uh, devouring me, the werewolves. That was the issue before. That's oh, I, that was yeah. really strong. That was such a great yeah. ending, and. It, yeah, because so. this one start. That was when they were actually killing him, and this one starts with him being dead, which was uh, something I mentioned in my review. Is kind of a pretty damn good swerve because in the uh, in modern fiction, we expect when the hero or whatever quote unquote dies at the end of the issue, next issue is going to pick up with here's how he got out of it. And this one, he actually was friggin' dead. Right. Yeah, the death. I wasn't uh, expecting that. I admit it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yep. My other my other th- comment I want to make is that this is the third time Kane's died. I think we should now accept the fact that he has resurrection abilities. Basically, he got stabbed a giant piece of hunk of iron. Zach, you're breaking up really bad. But Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, go, Kevin, go ahead. Okay, on to the next one. Oh, yeah. Uh, next, we've got Ultimate Spider-Man number twenty. Oh yeah. Yep. And this one, Miles fights the new Gigundus Venom. Who's very this, intent I, on knowing... This, hmm? this was a good one, I thought. Uh, we're going to disagree, and I'll tell you why. All right. Um, the new Venom is very intent on knowing the identity of the new Spider-Man. Uh, and Miles' dad gets seriously hurt during the fight, 
And in the end of everything, Venom slimes himself down into the sewer. I give this one a C. Um, I think for a big new story, pitting Miles against a huge, iconic Spider-Man villain, uh, this chapter of Venom War just didn't do much for me. The battle felt frustrating, uh, repetitive, because... Miles spent kind of the whole thing either repeating what Venom said as a question in his head or trying to think of how Peter Parker beat Venom, and it just kind of goes over and over again. Uh, I'm also not really loving the new hulking alien robot-looking Venom design or the fact that there seems to be nobody in the suit. Uh, the main point of interest seems to be the question of why Venom's so intent on finding out the new Spider-Man's identity, but it got to the point that he'd asked the question without explanation so many times that it was more annoying than intriguing. And in general, this issue just, it wasn't up to the usual high standard of Ultimate Spider-Man, and I just really hope that Venom War ramps up next issue with some more meat. What else we got? Uh, we've got, oh, here we go, Venom number 31. Oh, not a fan, I know you aren't. <laughs> Dear crap. Um. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, yeah. Flash continues to say goodbye to New York, and hello to Philadelphia continues, I say, because he just keeps doing it. Uh, it's the same stuff that's been happening, uh, keeps happening, and Eddie Brock cameos at the end like he always does these days. So I give this one a C-. minus. Um, it's not much new going on in the issue. We already got all we needed to on his moving cities. We've had plenty of the symbiote going out at night. The worst part for me was when the metaphor for addiction that the series has always had was taken completely out of subtext and put into plain, plain bold text. Because now Flash has a literal syringe to keep the symbiote at bay, and he says he won't stick that needle in his arm unless he needs it. And he's got bags under his eyes when he says it, and looks like he's fiending for a fix, just in case you didn't get that this was uh, a metaphor for addiction. So, yeah, subtlety, thy name is not Venom. <laughs> very nice, very issue, nice it wasn't like the worst issue I've ever read it was just so there was nothing new in it except that uh, it was sort of like when when Jeff Loeb took over the Ultimates and took all those suggestions of impropriety between Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and all of a sudden they've got a sex tape <laughs> just there's certain writers to subtlety, subtlety, and then the next writer is just like, um... I've got a two-by-four. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well said. Wait a minute. Yeah. The brother and sister made a sex tape? Yep. Ultimate yeah. 3 by Jeff Loeb. That, that, no, the sex tape was uh, Iron Man in Black Widow. Yeah, I thought that's what happened. What? That's what that that's, was in that that's one. That's right. That's right. The, but they, they did imply that the Scarlet Witch and the uh, Quicksilver had a lot of sex, though. So. Oh, yeah. I did get way less subtle when Jeff yeah, Lowe took over. The sex tape was Black Widow and Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, come Mine was fine. That was just bad. Very, very nice comeback. <laughs> anyway, Morbius number yeah, two. What is it? Morbi oh, Morbius number two. The Living okay. Vampire Returns. Have not read this one yet. Uh, Morbius recovers extremely quickly from a shotgun blast to the chest, meets a homeless teenage girl named Becky, goes to confront local crime boss Noah St. Germain, and after finding Noah to be stronger than he should be, rips Noah's throat right the hell out. All right. Okay. This one gets a C, uh, which is up from, what did I give it, an F last time? <laughs> 
D minus, I think. It was close Stuff to like an that. F. I still have my issues, uh, but this was a big improvement over the first issue, and <laughs> I get less of the hipster Morbius and more of a badass Morbius when he just, you know, is ripping some throats out. I kind of appreciate that. And Becky seems like a genuinely likable supporting character, even though, uh, like I mentioned in my review, it kind of reminds me of, like, every 90s Spider-Man comic where we had to it had to be about homeless people. Um, it's just, it feels like she's a character that came out of the like Yeah, exactly. Except I, I have to admit she's a she's a likable character, and I kind of like her. The, it's just it's uh it's a bit sad that I seem to like this issue because there's less Morbius and more of the homeless girl. Oh no! So uh, no. yeah, we'll see if that continues. But anyway, uh, moving on. Yes, Avenging Spider-Man number seventeen. Who's he team up with this one? Uh, he teams up with the FF, and by FF, I mean just the kids of the Future Foundation. Right. Yep. So Otto Spidey's called to the Baxter building to babysit the Future Foundation and has to thwart a time agency that's come to destroy them. After winning the day, Otto's removed the imprisoned Sandman from the Baxter building, uh, suggesting more ongoing plots in this series. Um, uh, is he still on the fan? That, that was never resolved with Hickman. Yeah, if, well, if Spidey is on the FF. Uh, I'd the say that's a... It, we've got a pretty clear line in the sand now that he's not, because Matt, when Matt Fraction took over, the core team... The family and with their kids went off into time and space in the Fantastic Four title, and they recruited these four other people to be the FF while they were gone, and none of that involved Spider-Man. Correct. So I just wish there was a story like, you know what? Thanks for letting me on your team. I'm off to the Avengers. I wish there was something like that. Yeah. There wasn't. I mean, it seemed like when Hickman left it, he kind of he he created this whole extended family, and he kind of wanted Spider-Man to be a part of that. But Fraction just sort of jettisoned that immediately. Which you know, yeah. He's a new writer. He's got to do his own concept. That's cool. But yeah, I just it, it ended up that there wasn't a breaking point. Yeah. Exactly. So he anyway, I give this care. issue a C plus. Mm-hmm. Lower than I want to give it, um, but like the last issue, this still just isn't as good as I want it to be. It's kind of fine, but I'm I'm really getting nothing on the level of number fifteen point one or Yost's other book, Scarlet Spider. I do find it interesting that Yost seems to have taken it upon himself to clean up villain plot threads from ends of the earth because uh, he he rescues Sandman's little like sand soul grain in this issue, and next issue he's bringing back Electro with Thor. So, like, Yost just yeah. came into the spider books and was like, what can I fix? We've got Sleepwalker coming up, too, yeah. in this book. Man. That's a, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am the rare one that liked Sleepwalker back in the day. I really, I have to admit, I've read probably, like, an appearance of Sleepwalker. I think in, yeah. like, the first Peter David Hulk Visionaries trade, there was a Sleepwalker issue, and that's probably the only time I've ever read him. <laughs> um, right. My last one. Okay. Venom number 32. Uh, Flash starts work as a coach at a local high school, then fights a guy who was experimented on by the UFOs. And that is it. All this happens. <laughs> uh, this one gets a C minus. Okay. I was actually enjoying the stuff with Flash as a coach, but sadly that never moved past introduction and the very surface level stuff, which sadly, you know might be all we ever get in this comic because it is Venom and we, we only really like the surface in Venom, folks. Um, but then it returns to the plot with the UFOs that I really thought was over and I was really happy about that. 
but I guess it's going to be used as a device for random freaks to pop up in Philadelphia, sort of like Kryptonite was used in Smallville. And if this skinny guy with aliens on his back is any indication, they're not going to be very good. I really didn't care for that part of the issue at all, and I felt like it was just there to fill a fight quota, plus the title, the review page, and the first page of the actual issue built up to Toxin, but then he didn't show up until the last page again, still not coming face-to-face with Venom yet. So let's hope we start to move this Toxin story along and we actually get some damn Toxin. Instead of the UFOs, Kevin's calling them the mofos. (laughs) I mean, it's bad enough to have a really bad story, but to then just keep calling back to it is just sort of like flipping off the reader. (laughs) That that was the last one, huh? That's the satellites for the month. Was it a good month or a bad month? Let's see. I've got C minus, C plus, C, C minus, C... And an A+. Plus. <laughs> so wow. mostly we're going with C. It was about an average month, if I had to add that all up. Yeah. All right. Uh, JR has to go in a bit, but I want to tackle his message board questions that are aimed to him. So, JR, let's see. We've got uh, the spot from England. He says, JR, you have said frequently in the past how time travel is one of your sci-fi weak spots, but you've never mentioned the film Back to the Future. What do you think of it? Written by Mr. Bob Gale. Well, uh, I won't hold that against him, uh, the film. Uh, <laughs> um, actually, I, I saw the the one, the original in the theater. Unfortunately, thirty almost thirty years ago. <clears throat> I was with, I was with you. I remember. Uh, I mean, not physically. But. Now, now Spencer loves all loves them. Uh, I got him the box set actually for his birthday. I liked it. I liked the the first story. It's a great example of using time travel to tell a, a nice a good story. Um, Time travel is a pretty stupid concept when you sit and think about it. Uh, and the use of the DeLorean as the device, while it's certainly memorable, is pretty absurd. But but time travel is a device uh, and to get you to a story. And this is a perfect example of using it to get to a really na- nice little story. And uh, so I liked it. The sequels, eh, not so much. Right. Uh, the spot also has a question about what was it that lured you to Spider-Man all those years ago over other titles like Captain America, Uncanny, Daredevil, Hulk, and Avengers, and what you, drew you to Marvel over DC? Oh, Lord, that's a loaded question. Um, I think with Spider-Man in particular, I just kind of was drawn to his wacky sense of humor. Uh, the fact that he was, always, he was a smart-ass, and he was always smarting off to his villains and to everybody else, and he was subject yeah. to the same indignities as the rest of us. You know, I, I never got into the, we have to pour, you know, misery upon misery uh, on Peter, you know, to make him relatable. I always thought it's like, uh, you know, crap, you know, uh, he's got to go to the bathroom and uh, the door's locked. You know, we just one of life's little indignities. Uh, and uh, that's what and, you know, it's like I remember uh, our, our old buddy Don here back before he became one of the hosts. He asked a question why I like Mr. Spock so much. Um, I think the thing is, for whatever reason, some things resonate with you emotionally more than others, whether it's a song or a band or it just kind of hits you in a soft spot. And I'm not really sure you can define it sometimes. What about Marvel over DC? Is it human hum, humanization? I guess. Yeah, and, and and to be honest, I was kind of drawn to Marvel's convoluted continuity. I liked the fact that it was a consistent mythology. I really hated the fact that you know, depending on what side of the day the editor in chief woke up at DC, that the continuity had changed. Um, I hate that too. <laughs> Eddie has one for you, Jr. He says, are you looking forward to another screen iteration of Norman? Why or why not? And how do you feel 
about the quality of actors they've chosen to play Norman. Uh, I'm absolutely looking forward to it, and I've been happy with both choices. Uh, Zonathan uh, has won. JR recently in CBR slot discredited the possibility that MJ has to know that Peter got mind swapped, citing when Aunt May slept with Scroll Jarvis. J. Jonah Jameson was the chameleon, or Peter Parker never realizing that his recently returned parents were killer robots, or that Aunt May was replaced with an actress, while going all crazy with a bat might not be the appropriate measure now that they are not married. Is it nonchalant? Is her nonchalant attitude towards Peter Puss during Spider-Man Superior Two in character? <laughs> well, you know, I actually ought to. We ought to turn on the uh, some tapes of Chris because uh, he's dealt with this issue <laughs> in in depth. Uh, it, basically, what it comes down to is whatever opinion you, you want to argue, you can argue it. Uh, yeah. So that, that's basically what it is. Yep. Uh, Abu Aziz from. Location, Christian Bale, Batman Begin Voice shouts, I am the law, Judge Stallone style. My goodness. I am the law. I am the law. <laughs> Fear me. Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man Magazine number one featured a different origin for Spider-Man, written by Stanley. Spectacular Spider-Man 60 featured another look at Amazing Fantasy Origin with some changes. Why are all these different versions of the origin in the 616 universe? Was it your... What is your second favorite, and what are your likes and dislikes in them? Uh, well, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted, I didn't have enough time to research uh, some of the other ones that have been done, uh, so I'm just going to, you know, fly with this off the top of my head. Uh, first of all, Stan Lee, I think, wrote may have wrote the Spectacular Spider-Man magazine one, and with Stan, you know, I mean, Stan never struck me as a guy who remembers much or even bothers to do his research, so that wouldn't surprise me that he would do something different. Uh, plus, you got to realize it's a 50-year-old story. And, you know, a lot of things have happened in the past and, or, you know, the past 50 years, and every, it's just too tempting for a lot of people. You know, writers are kind of, you know, of course, I don't want to speak ill of writers with Mr. Cushing among us, but I think writers are particularly the creative, they're kind of arrogant people and say, well, I can do this better than so and so. And, and so they right. do it. Yeah, so they do it. <laughs> um, you know, so. Uh, fortunately, though, it's it's actually one origin I think that has aged much better than a lot of them. I mean, you know, ra yeah, radiation we know that gives you cancer, and and two, you know, he does probably know the difference between a cha cha and a waltz. But uh, it, it's a story that's held, held pr together pretty well. It's not overly uh, dependent on the events of the time or political. What's nice? I'm sorry. I don't remember what the changes were in sixty and spec. I don't remember any changes. I don't. I, I don't. I don't. Well. I didn't have a chance to research, but I know that yeah, I, I'm thinking. I think. I think sixty is was Roger Stern's take on it, and he expanded it. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't really add a whole lot, but he kind of expanded it. But it's just you know you have a story. You know it's it's probably an irresistible topic to, for people to touch. Yeah. Uh, uh, extreme, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. The 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 version I like after the original origin. Actually, I like Sam okay. Raimi's version. Uh, yeah. because I really like the fact that Peter's last words to Uncle Ben was something hateful, you know, and he can, yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, rather than the, oh, it's all my fault thing, which it is all his fault, you know, you let the burglar go by, <laughs> well, no, wait a minute, no, the Sandman killed him, I forgot, but, but, <laughs> but anyway, I, I like the fact that it was, you know, I like the fact that Peter and Ben kind of had that final connection at the end, uh, I think that was very touching, and but plus I, I like the fact that really, like I said, he said something very hateful to Ben, and he can never ever take it back take it yep extreme spider from new york city prime jr here's one for the lols who's the better father sheriff buford t justice or norman osborne take away the supervillain aspect of norman and just make him a mean some bitch 
I tell you, I have never, I guess as a child of the 70s, um, there are certain films that you should see, like, I guess, Saturday Night Fever, probably the original yeah. Smokey and the Bandit, but I have never seen any of the Smokey films. So are you kidding I me? have not wow. seen a one of them. I have never, li- and I know that George, if George listens to this, he will reach across the internet and slap <laughs> me, but I have oh. never liked Burt Reynolds. Never <laughs> liked Burt Reynolds. I always, and, 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 and this, this may not be, this may not be accurate. I just always thought he was a smug, self-satisfied son of a bitch, and I could not stand the look of the man. So, oh, man. Anyway, so I've not seen it, but uh, I, I would have to say you have to work pretty hard to be a worse father than Norman. Well, Jackie Gleason came close. Steve <laughs> Rogers from New York City also. JR, do anything else Spider-Man or Marvel related? While, did you do anything Spider-Man or Marvel related while you were in New York besides see the musical? Uh, well, besides, uh, well, besides, you know, uh, take a piece of rope, tie it on the end of one building, go across to another building and try to swing <laughs> around. Um, not, uh, not really, because this was a work-related assignment, so I didn't have a whole lot of extra time. But I did go to uh, a couple of famous comic shops, Midtown Comics and, and Forbidden Planet, which I think everybody, I, wanna... I think everybody's heard of Forbidden Planet. Um, were, they, were they cool? Did you buy anything? No, I didn't buy. Well, I bought my my normal quota of uh, Superior Spider-Man, but uh, not much else. My comics buying budget's pretty thin these days. Uh, I actually I walked in the village and I took a picture of the Bleecker Street sign for some strange reason because I know that's where Doctor Strange is. Uh, I took I took I walked by the Flatiron Building, which serves as the uh, uh, Daily Bugle. Daily yeah. And I wanted to go to the Moon Dance Cafe. I looked it up, and not only has that restaurant been closed for several years, but the whole building itself was put on a flatbed truck and moved to like Oklahoma. So refresh the Moon Dance Cafe. What's oh, that? Spider Man One. That's the uh, the one Mary Jane. Mary- Mary Jane's uh, restaurant. Oh, okay. Hey, girl, you shoot your door with sword six bucks. Don't let it happen again. You know, but, <laughs> uh, 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 and there is a book out there actually called The Marvel Guide to New York. Uh, I almost wish I'd had it to go with it. Yeah, I, I did. That would have been neat. What, is this comic shop like the biggest one you've ever been in in this Times Square? Is it in Times Square? Is that where it is? Uh, Midtown Comics actually has uh, several locations. Uh, okay. One is pretty close to Times Square. The other is uh, the others are you know they're they're all within walking distance. Uh, Big Al, aiming to Jr. After reading your essay in the Web Slinger book, you sold another one. <laughs> <laughs> Jr.'s book Cha-ching. sold another. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. After reading your essay in the Web Slinger book about Peter's father figures, I was wondering what you thought of Robbie as a potential father figure for Peter. You know that is an excellent question uh, because you would think that would be natural, but strangely enough, I have never considered Robbie a father figure, and the only reason I can think of is because Peter's looking, I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't want to get into the whole thing about Peter and the father figure thing, but Robbie, to me, always struck me as the wise uncle who you would go to when you were on the outs with your old man, you know? He just always seemed, he seemed like a supportive character, but he didn't seem like the father type. I, you know, it's a good question. It's a legit, it's a legitimate way to look at Robbie, but for some reason, I've just never seen him that way. Well, maybe because Uncle Ben was Peter's father, essentially. Maybe Robbie was the uncle that Ben should have been. Well, consider. Well, the thing is, uh, oh, you, okay. you know, Captain Stacy and Robbie existed at the same time, and Captain Stacy, I think, when you look at the two, definitely more of the father figure type. Um, so, you know, since they coexisted, I think you could you could take it that way. Stacy was the father figure. Robbie was the uh, older brother or the uh, uncle figure. Yeah. So. I got you. Okay. That is your last yes. one, yes. Jr. I apologize, but my family is 
at, uh, jump in the bit. They want to go out to dinner, and I have to take Rachel back to college tomorrow. I feel bad because right. it's like the old Carson show. A star would come on, and then they have to they have to they have to leave after their interview because they had a plane to catch, which was a euphemism for saying I'm far too important to be hanging out with these other guys you're going to talk to. But you know, so I hate no, I hate to do it, but I, you've I been got, fine. the family wants you got it. You got it all in, Jr. Uh, I appreciate. All right, it. guys, it's been great. Thank you very much. Yeah, Howdy have ever. a good one. Bye. Peace. Bye, Jr. Yeah. All right, now we can talk bad about him. No. <laughs> what would you even say? <laughs> Not a damn thing. It's J.R. Fettinger, man. Stand-up guy all the time. And we'll wrap the show up right about there. We started with JR and we end with JR, so nothing wrong with that. Before we go, I want to give another shout-out to our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. An example of their great prices is on Avenging Spider-Man number 21. In this one, the chameleon is loose on a shield helicarrier, and Spidey has to go after him. And if that weren't enough, there's also a ticked-off Hulk on board. Okay, Hulk-Spidey team-up. I am so there. I love those. The cover price is $3.99. Mail order has it for just $2.47, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. Thanks for listening, gang. I'm your host and webmaster, Brad Douglas, for the SpiderManCrawlspace.com. Spider-Man Crawlspace.com.